Good morning. It's Wimala, and it's May the 2nd. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on around our apartments today. They're changing all kinds of uh, fiber optics, I guess. And uh, if we suddenly hear some weird noises, it, it might be that. People up in the attic and, uh, you know, pulling lines down to replace old ones. So... Let's start with our meditation. I think we'll be relatively undisturbed for that. And we'll begin with that just to get the body for the meditation, just get your body relaxed. Then we'll then we'll read from the book uh, Becoming Your Own Therapist for about the last half of our time together. And uh, then I'll send you on your, on your day or your evening. So you might want to roll your shoulders back, get in a comfortable spot, whether you're standing or sitting or on the floor, on your back. Take a few deep breaths in and out. This is not part of the traditional meditations, but uh, a lot of people are using this as a way to help the body get a little better centered and relaxed. We all carry so much tension with us these days. So just... Let yourself exhale loudly through your mouth, if you like. Let's try to get it all out. Close your eyes if you can. Take in all the other sense input that you're getting. You're hearing, smelling, tasting, the physical contact that you can feel through your skin. And our thinking. So those thoughts in your head, those are all considered part of that sense input. Everything else coming in through your body is interacting with your mind, your brain, and creating those thoughts. So our practice is to take it all in at this point and just let it go. Just let it be the way it is. Don't let it be a disturbance. If you can help it, I mean, if it gets noisy around here, I'll consider it a disturbance. But we are learning not to let those outside things uh, affect us so much. It is just the way it is. And even the thoughts that rise up in our heads, that's our monkey mind. But that's the way the mind works. So those thoughts are just a natural 
They're a natural byproduct of what's going on with our senses. So just allow the thoughts to rise up, but don't feed them with your attention. Just label them thoughts, just like sound or smell. And with contact, we may feel cool one minute, we may feel too warm the next. Just be aware, everything is changing constantly. We're learning not to be tricked, too. We hear beautiful sound, and we can enjoy that and be glad we're hearing that sound. And all of a sudden, it might quit, and then we're a little bit upset. Or the sound may turn from something that is pleasant to us to something that's unpleasant. Maybe too much of it. Or it gets too loud or or interrupts something we're doing. So we just watch and observe. Watch with your eyes closed. As our meditation, uh, as our mind gets more still and more calm, uh, we won't notice those things at all. Now just be with your natural breath. Let's just be with this breath. If you want to, you can count your breaths. One in, one out. Maybe count up to five or at most ten. Then start over. If you lose count, you know you've become distracted. Jump back in, start over again.
When we can allow ourselves to let go of the thoughts, just let them go for now. Don't push them down. Just allow them to rise and fall away on their own. But as we feel the mind become more calm, more still, it gives us a taste Just a taste of how we can work with our minds. May each one of us be well and content and at peace. May our loved ones be well and contented. And may they be at peace. May all beings, human beings, non-human beings, all creatures, difficult people, strangers, and all the beings we cannot see throughout the universe, may they all be safe. May they all be free from fear and worry and anxiety and free from hunger and thirst and effects of climate change. May all beings be able to care for themselves or be well cared for and well loved. And may all beings know peace. May everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all sentient beings. So thank you. It was certainly noisy here. Um, So we had stuff to work with, right? (laughs) Voices, traffic, uh, doors opening and closing. So we've already gotten started on our practice of uh, just letting it be. 
So it's good to be with you on this Thursday. It's beautiful here. And we are in the last several pages of our wonderful book, and it's a it's the expanded edition of Becoming Your Own Therapist and includes Make Your Mind an Ocean. That's what we're doing when we meditate. As we calm that mind and we we become clear, it's like that clear. It become first it's a clear pond you can see to the bottom of. But then we're making our mind an ocean. So everything comes from the mind is the chapter we're on now, and the next one is Make Your Mind an Ocean. So let's finish this. Maybe we can even read into the next chapter a little bit. We have about 10 or 12 minutes. So I'm in the middle of page, let's see, 103. Uh, And I'm going to reread the last paragraph we read because it's so important and it leads us into the to the uh, paragraph we're starting. Lord Buddha never put much emphasis on belief. Instead, he exhorted us to investigate and try to understand the reality of our own being. He never stressed that we had to know what he was, what a Buddha is. All he wanted was for us to understand our own nature. Isn't that so simple? We don't have to believe in anything. Simply by making the right effort, we understand things through our own experience and gradually develop all realizations. That's very comforting, right? Um, Excuse me, I have a really scratchy throat from all the golden powder pollen floating around in the air. Simply by making the right effort, we understand things through our own experience and gradually develop all realizations. That's such a comforting sentence. This works. This process works. But perhaps you have a question. What about mountains, trees, and oceans? How can they come from the mind? I'm going to ask you, what is the nature of a mountain? What is the nature of an ocean? Do things necessarily exist as you see them? When you look at mountains and oceans, they appear to your superficial view as mountains and oceans. But their nature is actually something else. If a hundred people look at a mountain at the same time, they all see different aspects, different colors, different features. Then whose view of the mountain is correct? If you can understand that, you can reply to your own question. In conclusion, I'm saying that your everyday superficial view of the sense world does not reflect its true reality. The way you interpret Melbourne, this is he's making the speech in Melbourne, Australia. The way you interpret Melbourne, your imagination of how Melbourne exists, has nothing whatsoever to do with the reality of Melbourne. Even though you might have been born here, 
and have spent your entire up and down life in Melbourne. Check up. I'm saying all this, I'm not making a definitive statement, but rather offering you a suggestion of how to look at things afresh. I'm not trying to push my own ideas onto you. All I'm doing is recommending that you set aside your usual sluggish mind, which simply takes what it sees at face value and check with a different mind, a fresh mind. Most of the decisions that your mind has been making from the time you were born, this is right, this is wrong, this is not reality, have been misconceptions. Okay, so take that in. <laughs> Let me read this, that sentence again. Most of the decisions that your mind has been making from the time you were born, this is right, this is wrong, this is not reality, have been misconceptions. A mind possessed by misconceptions is an uncertain mind, never sure of anything. A small change in the external conditions and it freaks out. Even small things make it crazy. If you could only see the whole picture, you'd see how silly this is. But we don't see totality. Totality is too big for us. That's wonderful. The wise mind, knowledge, wisdom, or universal consciousness is never phased by small things. Seeing totality, it never pays attention to minutia. Some energy coming from here, clashing, clashing with some other energy there, never upsets the wise because they expect things like that's, that to happen. It's in their nature. If you have the misconception that your life will be perfect, you will always be shocked by its up and down nature. If you expect your life to be up and down, your mind will be much more peaceful. Okay, let me read those two again. Oh, this is so good. If you have the misconception that your life will be perfect, you will always be shocked by its up and down nature. If you expect your life to be up and down, your mind will be much more peaceful. What in the external world is perfect? Nothing. So since the energy of your mind and body are inextricably bound up with the external world, how can you expect your life to go perfectly? You can't. Thank you so much. I hope you've understood what I've been saying and that I have not created more wrong conceptions. We have to finish now. Thank you. And that's from Melbourne, Australia in 1975. And he is speaking at a medical college, I think. I love, I love that he ends on that note, right? <laughs> Let's read just a little bit from this next chapter just to whet your interest. Make your mind an ocean. It's chapter four of this very short but really incredible book. It's the last chapter. 
but we won't finish it today. Look into your mind. If you fervently believe that all your enjoyment comes from material objects and dedicate your entire life to their pursuit, you're under the control of a serious misconception. This attitude is not simply an intellectual thing. When you first hear this, you might think, Oh, I don't have that kind of mind. I don't have complete faith that external things will bring me happiness. But check more deeply in the mirror of your mind. You will find that beyond the intellect, such an attitude is indeed there, and that your everyday actions show that deep within, you really do believe this misconception. Take a moment now to check within yourself to see whether or not you really are under the influence of such an inferior mind. (laughs) He has a sense of humor. A mind that has such strong faith in the material world is narrow, it's limited, it has no space, its nature is sick, unhealthy, or in Buddhist terminology, dualistic. I'm going to read that again. That's what he's going to be talking about. A mind that has such strong faith in the material world is narrow, is limited. It has no space. Its nature is sick, unhealthy, or in Buddhist terminology, dualistic. In many countries, people are afraid of those who act out of the ordinary, such as those who use drugs. They make laws against the use of drugs and set up elaborate custom control, customs controls to catch people smuggling them into the country. Examine this more closely. Drug taking doesn't come from the drug itself, but from the person's mind. It would be more sensible to be afraid of the psychological attitude, the polluted mind, that makes people take drugs or engage in other self-destructive behavior. But instead, we make a lot of fuss about the drugs themselves, completely ignoring the role of the mind. This, too, is a serious misconception, much worse than the drugs a few people take. Misconceptions are much more dangerous than just a few drugs. Drugs themselves don't spread too far, but misconceptions can spread everywhere and cause difficulty and unrest throughout an entire country. All this comes from the mind. The problem is that we don't understand the psychological nature of the mind. We pay attention to only the physical substances that people take. We're totally unaware of the stupid ideas and polluted misconceptions that are crossing borders all the time. I like that. That's true, isn't it? We see that a lot just within our own countries. doesn't have to cross too many borders. All mental problems come from the mind. We have to treat the mind rather than tell people, oh, you're unhappy because you're feeling weak. What you need is a powerful new car or some other kind of material possession. Tell people to go buy something to be happy 
is not wise advice. The person's basic problem is mental dissatisfaction, not a lack of material possessions. When it comes to the approach to mental problems and how to treat patients, there's a big difference between Lord Buddha's psychology and that which is practiced in the West. When the patient returns and says, well, I bought the car you recommended, but I'm still unhappy, perhaps the doctor will say, you should have bought a more expensive one, or you should have chosen a better color. Even if the patient goes away and does that, he's still going to come back unhappy. No matter how many superficial changes are made to a person's environment, his problems won't stop. Buddhist psychology recommends that instead of constantly substituting one agitated condition for another, thereby simply changing one problem into another, and then another, and then another without end, give up cars completely for a while and see what happens. Sublimating one's problem, sublimating one problem into another solves nothing. It's merely change. Though change may often be enough to fool people into thinking they're getting better, they're not. Basically, they're still experiencing the same thing. Of course, I don't mean all this literally. I'm simply trying to illustrate how people try to solve mental problems through physical means. Recognize the nature of your mind. As human beings, we always seek satisfaction. By knowing the nature of the mind, we can satisfy ourselves internally, perhaps even eternally. But you must realize the nature of your own mind. We see the sense world so clearly, but we're completely blind to our internal world, where the constant functioning of misconceptions keeps us under the control of unhappiness and dissatisfaction. This is what we must discover. It is crucial, therefore, to make sure that you are not laboring under the misconception that only eternal external objects, <laughs> external objects can give you satisfaction or make your life worthwhile. As I said before, this belief is not simply intellectual. The long root of this delusion reaches deep into your mind. Many of your strongest desires are buried far below your intellect. That which lies beneath the intellect is usually much stronger than the intellect itself. Some people may think my basic psychology is sound. I don't have faith in materials. I'm a student of religion. Simply having learned some religious philosophy or doctrine doesn't make you a spiritual person. Many university professors can give clear intellectual explanations of Buddhism, Hinduism, and Christianity, but that alone doesn't make them spiritual people. They're more like tourist guides for the spiritually curious. That's a good sentence. If you can't put your words into experience, your learning helps neither yourselves nor others. 
There's a big difference between being able to explain religion intellectually and transforming that knowledge into spiritual experience. You have to put what you've learned into your own experience and understand the results that various actions bring. A cup of tea is probably of more use than learned scholarship of a philosophy that cannot support your mind because you don't have the key. At least it quenches your thirst. Studying a philosophy that doesn't function is a waste of time and energy. Okay, I'm going to stop there. That's kind of a controversial sentence that I stopped on. And then he's going to begin to talk about what he, what he, what the word spiritual really means. So that's, stay tuned for that. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll read that. So thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. And I hope you're enjoying this book as much as I am. So have a beautiful day or evening. And let's send merit again. And may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all sentient beings. So let's be spiritual today. See you tomorrow, I hope. Bye-bye. Thank you.